The FGC pit, on the other hand, is a much smaller affair. It's a much more grassroots feeling in comparison to, there's still plenty of energy, goodness, but it's a much smaller feeling situation where you walk into the main doors and you actually walk all the way down the stairs into the, the arena itself. Welcome to Switched On, an entertainment podcast by Swinburne University's The Standard. I'm your host, Jack Andre Hamill. Today we'll be discussing DreamHack, an esports event recently held here in Melbourne. My guest today is Jack Krinjanin, who attended the event and will tell us the highlights and experience of the esports event. Thanks for coming onto the show, Jack. Thank you very much for having me. One of the first ask is I'm not super into the e league sort of stuff, but so what is DreamHack? So, DreamHack is, I guess, at the very top level, festival where gaming communities, competitive esports communities, creators uh, can all sort of come together and coexist. It started out as a LAN. DreamHack um, started as a LAN over 20 years ago, I believe, in Sweden, mostly as a BYOC event, a LAN event, where hundreds, potentially over a thousand, wouldn't surprise me, um, Europe's got its own thing going on, bring all of their rigs into a huge hall, um, plug into a network and have a great time. Because of I guess the Australian scene lands not having uh, as big of a platform to stand on here. Um, there have been land events. Landslide was certainly there to help with the the BYOC, bring your own computer section. I'll get to that a little bit later. But here, because it's run by ESL Australia, that has a much bigger focus uh, at DreamHack. DreamHack abroad in Europe does have plenty of a focus on esports, but it's much more around that. And there's far less attention paid to the BYOC where in Europe, you might see a fair bit more of that. It sounds interesting. I mean, what kind of games and esports were on the show? Well, League of Legends was probably the biggest one. So um, League of Legends, um, the, the league is called, oh, I think it might be League of Legends championships oceana something to that effect lco is the acronym um so that's the uh, sort of local esports product um that you see produced in australia so th- there are local teams here that's a, a regular thing it's not oh, and it also I, th- I believe plugs into a broader global league of legends com- competitive scene as well uh that was on one side of Margaret Court Arena at Melbourne Olympic Park, uh, where the event was held. The other side had the Halo, Halo ANZ Regional uh, Championships as well. Uh, and then in Rod Laver Arena, uh, ESL Challenger Melbourne saw um, some of the best players of Counter-Strike come together. And then the other side of Rod Laver Arena, there was the FGC Pit. So if you think about Rod Laver Arena and Margaret Court Arena, these are huge venues where usually you see tennis players down in the bottom. That's true for Halo, League of Legends, and Counter-Strike as well. And I feel like Rainbow Six Siege was there, but I might be just getting gaslit by the DreamHack website. It's not just happened to me. The FGC pit, on the other hand, is a much smaller affair. It's a much more grassroots feeling in comparison to... There's still plenty of energy, goodness, but it's a much smaller feeling situation where you walk into the main doors and you actually walk all the way down the stairs into the the arena itself. So half of it is cordoned off on one side. You can't get, obviously, to where the players are playing Counter-Strike, but you've, you're in the pit there playing Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. I don't believe Melee was there. Tekken for 
Tekken 6? Tekken 7? Tekken 7, yeah, that's Tekken the newest 7, one. Street Fighter 5, that's where the wires got crossed. And and then I believe there were also some smaller fighting games there as well. Uh, Guilty Gear Strive was there, and I think a few smaller other ones as well. So those are sort of the, the main events on show uh, over the weekend. The... Finals, I guess, are kind of staggered where Friday and Saturday, you kind of work work through the bracket of different teams, particularly for CSGO. Uh, As far as um, League of Legends is concerned, I'm going to be honest, I'm not a league follower, so I couldn't really tell you, but they are working over over the weekend. And then particularly on on Sunday, you've got some of the big finales um, that were there on show. Yeah, I've actually... From what you've told me, like I'm actually kind of surprised Overwatch wasn't there because I, I mean I don't follow esports a huge amount, but I do know that Overwatch has been a big sort of esports competitive sort of game, which kind of su- surprises me and doesn't at the same time because I know Overwatch has kind of faltered the last few years, especially with uh, the sequel coming out, which a lot of people say is just a a, a reskinned version of the original. It was something of a flash in the pan, I feel. Um, it's not to discredit anyone that obviously got into it or enjoys the game. I certainly had plenty of fun with it. But, I mean, that game came out in 2016, right? Yeah. Um, I think that there maybe wasn't enough evolution in the scene, in the gameplay, to necessarily hold people's attention. Overwatch Contenders was at Melbourne Esports Open in 2018, which is something of... It, it's it's DreamHack Melbourne, but in a different form. It started off in, in some sense as Melbourne Esports Open in 2018 and 19. Overwatch Contenders was there in 18, and it was sick. I'm going to be honest, because I could actually go in, watch the, the the competitors, and I'm like, okay, cool, I know what's going on here. Someone who, well, I mean, it's hard to watch CSGO and not really get a sense. It's the same game mode. But League of Legends, I'm just looking at the screen, and it's just colors on screen. I think with Overwatch, I really enjoyed seeing that there, but I think that its relevance has certainly faded over the last few years. Yeah, which is kind of surprising since like so many, since League of Legends has been around since, what, 2012, I want to say? Maybe earlier. Like it might have even been earlier. Yeah, goodness. It's been going for a good long while. Yeah. I I don't know if it was necessarily a surprise that Dota wasn't there. I think that that's more reflective of the the work that ESL Australia does, first of all, but also the appetite potentially of Australian gamers in contrast to Southeast Asia, mainland China. Oh, actually, I'm not totally sure about that, but Dota has its own competitive event in TI that does uh, the international that does the circuit. And I believe that's going to be happening in Singapore a little bit later this year, but there was no showing of my understanding may have missed it, but I don't believe that Dota 2 was actually there at all. League had a huge audience though, as did Counter-Strike. I mean, it's definitely every time I've gone to a major gaming event like PAX and stuff, there's always been a massive uh, ride game stage for League of Legends and stuff. So, I mean, a good honor for lasting this long, uh, and it's still super popular. Going out onto popular games, uh, kind of wanted to talk about as well was Halo and the Halo Championship, because I know that was that dream hack. How was that? Because I know the last couple of games in the series has kind of lost fans and lukewarm reviews and stuff like that. It was a lukewarm showing of audience there was the sense that I got. CSGO and LOL had pretty significant crowds. Halo was a much sparser crowd. It was a very similarly sized 
venue, but it was it was a smattering of people in comparison for the the vast majority of the event. The production values were completely reasonable. Um, the casters were very competent. There was still like pushing players at home to go and play Halo, like using this almost as something of a marketing event to try and keep people along for the ride. That may well be because there's a relatively dwindling player base there, um, certainly in comparison to League of Legends or CS. Um, but it was it was a much smaller event. Not saying it was a bad showing on, on the part of Halo. It was a good show that they produced and um, the production values across all of the three major games were fantastic. Yeah, no, look at our photos. Um, the whole event just looked yeah, spared no expense. And look, that, it did look great. But besides from esports, what other stuff was around? I mentioned earlier the BYOC area, bring your own computer, and it was a fairly intimate affair. Uh, I was there on the Sunday. I only found it on the Sunday um, because of the way that it was structured. You would have to end up going all the way through the expo hall. You would know that BYOC is on the other side, go all the way through the expo hall. There was an additional hallway. My bugbear was that there was a, a really nice cafe on the other side that I had no idea about on the Saturday and I was desperate for a good coffee. So I, that kind of bothered me. But um, BYOC, there were, it was, you know, trestle tables for a good long while. I think they had capacity for 100, 150, 200-ish, I, I feel, people to bring um, and set up their own PCs. They had a contingent from Adelaide that I believe hired a minibus uh, or something to that affair to come down for it, um, and and landslide. And I think, oh, that's the only land that I know in Melbourne because I've not lived here for that long. But uh, there were other uh, community event runners uh, of, of lands involved as well. But Landslide certainly had staff there that I knew of. Uh, and so they, they were kind of doing little bits and pieces of comps and that was good fun. But most people didn't even know that was there. The Expo Hall was the biggest offering for most people. They would end up going in. And this is kind of where it was, it was a bit of a bugbear for me that I might get into a bit later. But there was not a lot of meat on the bones there for people who aren't into esports to get into. And I think that DreamHack never really marketed itself as a general gaming festival. It was always very much an esports event. But I think off the back of MEO, I was expecting a little bit more, a bit more of a showing there uh, in the Expo Hall. For the most part, it was PC vendors. There were at, there was Intel, there was PLE, uh, a local vendor. There was Monster Energy had a huge booth, and they were doing like barber cuts and tattoos. That was kind of fun <laughs> to walk into. Um, there was a creator space there, so. Twitch streamers would basically get a pass to come in and stream in front of an audience. For some of the bigger Twitch streamers and creators, there was a meet and greet area and then there was a main stage with panels. And certainly through the Friday where I wasn't there, I was working elsewhere, there, the entire program was really catered to students. Uh, the, the, the panels there were working in esports or getting a job in esports, online safety and social media, university pathways to the esports industry, life as a content creator, stuff that really demystifies, I think, for maybe brings it down off the pedestal, I think, for people who are keen to get into it. But it also kind of, it lent a much more of a sense of legitimacy, I think, to the space for parents who may well have been there. There were schools that were signing up to the program fairly late on in the piece because ESL only knew that they were going to be doing a student's day on the, uh, about a month out. 
um, of the Friday. And so that's how that kind of came together. But they were really happy with some, like, like how, how that panned out, basically. And they were keen to kind of get that program, not right next time, but kind of flesh it out a little bit more, given it was so close to the event. They were keen to do it bigger and better specifically for students and young people in the future. And I spoke to Ben Green, product manager at ESL Australia, about the growth of Australian esports um, and where we stand now next to our European and American peers and, and potentially what that could look like for young people wanting to get into the space as well. That growth obviously was hampered by COVID, but it mm-hmm. was Australia wasn't the only one. Yep. In the context of NA and EU esports, I think w- when we talk about, say, Korea and China, that's a, a bit of a different conversation. Mm-hmm. But where Australian esports was compared to North America and Europe, that gap we got the gist in 2018 had been shrinking quite yep. significantly. Yep. Do you feel like that is still the case now that that gap is continuing to shrink, or is it is there more work to be done to catch Australia up to where those places are? Uh, it is shrinking, and again, let's go and sell our cop out. But COVID's definitely hurt because the thing, the growth, the way that we grow as a scene, certainly we talk competitiveness, is that. A team goes overseas. They win an opportunity to go overseas. They play against better teams. They they get experience on the stage. They come back. Yep. They play against the teams locally, and then those teams get brought up by that team, and then rinse and repeat. And then maybe we get two teams overseas. Yep. Um, so that's why we're always constantly fighting for as many spots as we can, because the more more people from Australia, New Zealand, who we can send overseas to learn and compete on those stages and come back, the better. So we've certainly. We, I think we have narrowed it, but at the same time, there's a lot of money being spent globally on, on you know, if you look at the top, top level of eSport, it's very hard to compete financially even um, with the salaries of, of the players that are competing. So from a perspective locally, whilst the, our, our players are fantastic, um, you know, and they're getting more support and uh, you're looking at nutritionists, and you, you know, they've, so it's, yeah, it's hard to compete on that level. And uh, the funding and support that they get uh, is equivalent to or more than even some traditional sport teams, right? Yep. So locally, all those things are gonna play a part. But I think the, the two, two or three key pieces to, for me are like uh, making it clear to mums and dads that when your kids, you know, treat it like sport, right? So let's not overindulge. We're not, you shouldn't be playing video games at 2 a.m. if you've got school in the morning. Let's be like, okay, you do what you, you do you. But, you know, it, in theory, probably not. Um, but at the same time, let's treat it like we treat sport. Let's see it as a, is it, okay, you want to go pro? Cool. What do we have to do to go pro? Should we get a coach? What does that look like? Um, how do we manage time between school and, and your gaming effectively? Then simple things like the, the difference between actually training and training. Grinding solo queue for 12 hours a day is not really training, right? Um, and the difference that having an actual coach um, uh, as part of your your group or having access to those and can say, you're, you're not practicing. You're spending all this time, but you're not practicing. Um, and those sorts of things can really help. And then of course, funding and sponsors pay for all of those things. And then um, being able to give uh, our competitors here in Australia an opportunity to say, well, actually you don't need to have two jobs. And you know, we it's like the footballers back in the day, right? They were laying bricks during the day and go and playing footy on the weekend. Um, because being a footy player didn't pay enough money. So um, once we get past that point for the, the semi-pro or, or you know, the, the baseline, like the top eight teams of, of pro teams in Australia and those players no longer have to spend their time working in other jobs just to pay the bills, 
um, that that'll help too. So it all sort of, there's all these little elements where we can uh, find, find growth, I suppose. But as with anything globally, even in traditional sport, it's very difficult to compete with the cash that uh, if you're bringing exposure for a, to a market like Europe or North America, you're going to get more money from your sponsors than what, what Australian teams can, right? Like that's, you know, it's just simple math. And that was Ben Green, who I spoke to at DreamHack Australia at Melbourne and Olympic Park from ESL Australia. DreamHack is like, I didn't even know it was, it was happening this weekend. And I'm just more of a general, normal gamer. I've n- never been into that. But is there any appeal to, for general gamers who aren't really into esports who might, you know, enjoy themselves though? I don't think so. I think if people had gone to Melbourne Esports Open in 2018 and 19 and were expecting basically the same thing this year, that didn't really happen. I shouldn't say in 19, I didn't go to 19, I went to 18, but very similar to how PAX, there is the main exhibition show floor there. They have AAA publishers, they have kind of B-level publishers, they had, I think, a fairly limited offering from indies, even though that may well have been within AAA publishers anyway. You know, Microsoft publishes a lot of smaller stuff as well, but there was a bit more there for general punters who weren't who didn't care much for esports, they might be like, oh yeah, maybe I'll check out the esports stuff, but it's a gaming event and I want to go to a gaming event. DreamHack didn't really offer that. DreamHack was very much, if you're not here for the networking, the partying, the creators, the esports, there's not a lot there for you. But I think that's also fine too. I think you need to, if you're keen to go to DreamHack, you do need to kind of temper your expectations. It's not just like a PAX with esports. It's It's a completely different product. And I think that, Within the context of what it's trying to offer, um, it it pulled it off pretty well. No event is perfect. There there are always little you know trips and falls and and bits and pieces that like maybe the schedules didn't go quite to time. Maybe there were technical issues that would pop up on occasion. Truly on occasion, not often. Pretty irregular from th- that I saw. Within the context of that and seeing it's an esports event, fantastic. But definitely for for DreamHack next year. As a general gamer, as someone who has a very top-level understanding of the esports space, I, I don't think that I'll be putting much or as much time uh, to it as I did this year. But would you say, since the event is geared towards, you know, specifically you know, esports gamers and the Twitch Twitch viewers and stuff like that, it was a you know a very well done event for them. I'd say so. Yeah, for for esports fans, absolutely. Um, for Twitch. For people who are, uh, you know, following Twitch creators or similar, I think if you're going entirely on that basis, you'd want to double check that the creators that you're fans of are going to be there. Um, And I don't think they had that many. They didn't have too many meet and greets, which makes sense because they take time. Um, But they had a half decent rotation of creators cycling through the section in the expo hall where they could stream so there was i think about 10 setups um for largely twitch streamers to come in and use if you happen to see on twitter oh, okay cool this person that i follow on twitch that's got something of a decent following i saw like pokemon like heart gold runs i think something to that effect there like <laughs> that stuff's sick and truly like i i bumped into a few of my um mates in the speed running scene there as well because they were like yeah i'm a twitch creator i applied for a badge and i'll be streaming for two hours later party great um if you're into esports, absolutely go to DreamHack. If you're into Twitch streamers, double check that the ones that you care about are going. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it does sound like a fun event if you are specifically in that 
because I never saw any sort of marketing or advertising as you see for other major events like PAX. I am like six months out, you are seeing ad after ad after ad, but this dream hack just seems so specific and niche that they already know. Like, because I'm not into that, I'm not going to get any of the advertising. Like, I don't go on Twitch, I don't follow the esports league, I don't, I don't, like, I had no idea it was even a thing until after the event happened and I saw a couple of people uh, tweet out about it. But um, it seems like a fun event for those who are into esports and stuff. Um, but otherwise, like you said, people like me, I just, yeah, probably not going to be that into it. But yeah. Um, and on that, like, since there isn't like a huge um, following, is there what other um, events are coming up in Melbourne? I think this kind of speaks to Melbourne taking off as like, I say taking off. Wow. Can you tell I just moved here? Um, <laughs> kind of reaffirming its its place as um, the gaming, pop culture, festival capital of the country. Sydney has had some, you know, a, a few conventions here and there. There was EBX for a little bit. There was RTX, if you're into some of that online programming. Brisbane's had a fair few smaller events, and there was EBX on the Gold Coast as well. There's Avcon in Adelaide, but really the fact that we have DreamHack I mean, a fortnight later, we have Crunchyroll Expo, which in some sense is replacing Madman Festival um, on the calendar. Madman Festival was kind of like a supernova or, or an Oz Comic-Con um, in large part for anime and manga fans. But um, because of uh, different branding or acquisitions or something to that effect, um, my understanding is that Crunchyroll Expo uh, on uh, in, in mid-September, I believe it is, is replacing what was Madman Festival. And that was always a good fun event. Um, if you were wanting to go and get merch or go and see, you know, new showings, or like sometimes they would have um, premieres of, of, of different anime or short features. Um, some of the guests that are going to be there, potentially artists or voice actors, is, is fairly common to see at these kinds of events too. That kind of serves, again, a very different crowd to DreamHack, where it is very much, you, you know, the, the crossover between esports fans and anime fans. Okay, now I've said it out loud. There's probably, a, you know, a, a not small crossover there. But the, I think at face value, you can be like, well, those are two different crowds. Not entirely true. But that's good fun. Uh, then a few weeks later, after Crunchyroll Expo, is Games Week. And so that serves a few different purposes. GCAP, Game Connect Asia Pacific, is there as a developer conference for Australian and Asia Pacific devs to kind of come to uh, come together and and as an opportunity to learn. Really, um, there are a few smaller events that you might see around uh, Acme or Acme X, uh, Fed Square, that in large part are supported by um, smaller studios or indeed Filmvic or Creative Vic or whatever the crap they're called at this point they just change names whenever they want um and then pax is really there for everyone there is some esports there is some speed running there is um an expo floor the expo floor might look a little bit different because nintendo's not going to be there and i'm not sure if sony or microsoft are going to be there so it might be a very different looking event Mm. um if anything, it might just mean it's a bigger community hall where you have tabletop gaming. You have, well, you had handheld gaming, I guess Switch counts. Um, little bits and pieces of smaller stuff. And then, of course, the conventions and uh, the, the the panels um, at the convention center and, you know, an opportunity to kind of 
come together as a community. And before I kind of worked in industry, PAX was the first time that I saw that happen following like Good Game and Good Game Pocket and their smaller community, you know, online shows. And I was part of that community and it was weird for me to, 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 it's weird for me now to look back and see, oh man, that was like really sick. And I wasn't like working. Kind of missed that, to be honest, because PAX is like that. That's how much I think a lot of people love PAX. And it's going to be good to see that come back for the first time in three years. Well, that's the the great thing about PAX is that there was such a broad scope of different sort of things you could go to. Like there's esports, um, there's game demos, there's a indie part, there's tabletop gaming and like tabletop games a free play where you can play these tabletop games in a retro area and a portable lounge and bring your own computer and it's it's definitely the best way to go where you want to experience and see new things as well as general game audience and stuff like that and it's going to be very curious of like when it comes out what it's going to be like after two years of covid because there was another point i wanted to make do you think after COVID, because this is the first year we really had events come back to full force, you know, without any restrictions or anything. And what I've noticed, especially, um, for example, uh, your Supernova and Armageddon, I don't think that's here anymore, but whatever the other pop culture event, Oz Comic Con, that's it. Is that like before COVID, they had their biggest draw was probably like meeting your favorite celebrities from old TV shows and movies and stuff like that. And there, there were some pretty big names, but I've noticed with the upcoming events, it really isn't that much. Or they're opting in for just a Zoom meeting, a, a live stream. And it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of losing that flavor of like, that's kind of a major reason a lot of people went was to see their favorite actors and celebrities and stuff like that so do you think we're still at a point where we're still kind of building up towards what it once was these major events and and whatnot i do i think that in the case of talent coming to a show there's there's enough hesitancy to kind of push or disincentivize people coming out to those kinds of shows um to go to an expo hall of however many tens of thousands of people that turn up or to necessarily be paid to act with a crew of a dozen or maybe a little bit more than that and your, you know, fellow actors, because the reality is if people don't know, they're getting paid to be there, um, then obviously it would make sense for some people not to go to a huge convention, to get on a plane, to worry about potentially isolation if they catch it on the way there or on the way back. Um, I think that's been a, a real kind of... Issue for um, Oz Comic Con, for Supernova. Um, I imagine it would be for Armageddon as well, which is in New Zealand now. I worry about that for uh, Crunchyroll Expo. Um, that may well have curtailed their ability to procure, procure to, to get some of the best talent there. Um, I think for PAX, it's a little bit different. It kind of seeps into company culture and you know nintendo was well known for being risk averse in a lot of ways and 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 that's why it kind of makes sense um that they're the first ones that i've heard pretty confidently that i understand won't be there sony and microsoft i'm less sure about um i think that we are coming back as far as consumer shows 
big events because the reality is like the entire world is still feeling short staffed or run down or quiet quitting or whatever else, great resignation. But there are plenty of forces at play to kind of make it a bit more difficult to put these on than we used to. But I think that we're on the right track. I think after two years, we've seen uh, over the last year and a little bit more of that in the US, Europe and Asia, there has been a slow but steady resurgence of events that Australia was one of the most risk averse um, and and slowest to respond to COVID in the community, um, it makes sense that we're only kind of starting to see this stuff come out now in any reasonable way. We may well see mid, like early to mid next year, certainly by this time next year, some like events very close to where they were before. So I think this is a step in the right direction. It's not as big as it used to be, but I think it would maybe be unfair to expect that. No, of course. I think the core of it is like the the community and getting out and going to a place where you get to see all the stuff you love and you enjoy. So, I mean, for the main part, yeah, it's great to have it just in general and be somewhere that's fun and like have a great time and make those memories. Those spaces still exist, I think, in the context of GGEZ, of Fortress, uh, but like those places are still really fun and and an opportunity to meet people that share similar interests. And and so yeah. um, we've obviously seen packs online in the interim. We've seen potentially more grassroots events, I think, encouraging that kind of thing. We all kind of miss the big ticket events, right? And so that that was always going to take a little bit more. But I think that plenty of communities across the world have, have kept up all right in the meantime. But it, it is going to be exciting to see things proper return nor- to, to, to normal as much as they can between now and this time next year. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm looking forward to it. Any reason to get out the house. <laughs> 100%. Same here. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. And great conversation about uh, DreamHack, especially for someone who, who knows nothing about uh, esports. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks again to my guest today, Jack Cringenon for discussing his experience at DreamHack Melbourne. Today's episode was hosted and produced by myself, Jack Andre Hamill, and edited by Campbell Jackson. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Swin Journalism, Instagram at Swinburne Journalism, or check out our website at theswinstandard.net. Once again, thanks for listening. <laughs>